Hi everyone, thank you very much for that introduction. Yes, so today I'm going to be presenting on how corporate forms is changing the landscape for animals. But before I do, I'm just going to give you a little bit of background about the Humane League. So the Humane League was founded back in 2005 in Philadelphia. Started off very much as a grassroots activist um, organisation, just a couple of people. And we've now grown to over 80 staff. And we've, we are now in other countries, so in Mexico we have a team, and we have a team here in the UK. Uh, we've been here in the UK for a couple of years now, and we're recently registered as a charity. And we're also based in Japan, which is the hub for many food businesses in Asia. So four or five years ago now, the Humane League honed in on working on getting hens out of cages. And it was this work, uh, with corporate, getting corporate commitments, that's been working towards making change for hens. Other organizations have been doing kind of more positive outreach, and then we took the approach that we would have discussions with, with companies, but if those discussions didn't work in getting any kind of commitment, we would launch uh, campaigns against these companies to get them to make these commitments to end cages for hens by 2025. And we, along with another, a number of organizations, such as Mercy for Animals, Animal Equality, um, HSUS, to name but a few in the US, have been working on this. And in doing so, we've got over 300 companies in the US to commit to go cage-free by 2025. And a similar approach has been taken here in Europe. A number of organizations, Open Cages, L214, ourselves here in the UK, um, Compassion and World Farming, who've been working a lot in the UK prior to us coming in 2016, have been making progress to get commitments from, for cage-free. And now here in the UK, all major companies have committed to go cage-free. And this is the battery cage. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about uh, cages. Here in Europe, we banned this in 2012. However, in other countries, pretty much around the world, this is the system that hens will, will spend their lives. And that's for a year and a half. They'll be in these systems... Um, and there is no more space than an iPad for them to live. They can't spread their wings. They are only given food and water. In Europe, we banned this in 2012 and moved to the enriched cage. Now, the enriched cage was meant to be a step up, and in some ways there is a, a degree of improvement. The birds have a small area where they can lay their eggs. You can see the orange flaps. That's where they'd be able to put it, where they want to lay their eggs, because they prefer to be in a dark, enclosed space. That's not quite what that is, but it is better than the barren cage. And they want to perch up high at night to feel safe. So they provided some perches. Unfortunately, those perches are about this far off the ground of the cage. And they're on a wire cage their entire time. And there's a small scratching area, but again, they can't really do dust bathing or foraging in that properly. And so that's why we pushed for the cage free. Now, this is a, a more intensive system and what these systems look like typically. So these barn systems do provide more for the hens. They're free to move around the system, move around the barn. They have litter on the floor for which they can dust bathe and forage. They have perches, which they can perch up high at night. And you can't see here, but then inside there's nest boxes, and they are dark, so they can have a secluded place to lay their eggs. And as we go through the welfare potential of systems, of course, free range would be the highest welfare potential, allowing those birds outside to forage even more naturally and to have natural light, etc. And so through these approaches, we've been working um, with other organisations to get major companies to make commitments. And that includes 
uh, Compass, which is a major food service company, people like Kellogg's, manufacturers, all the major uh, fast food chains, and also the supermarkets. And these commitments aren't just in one country. These commitments span both Europe and, in some case, globally. Now, how do we know this approach is working? Well, this is Chad Gregory. Chad is president of UEP, the United Egg Producers, and he helpfully told us that they're, they're the ones that are driving this. There is no question about it. Chaos, market disruption, and just complete lack of control. So there we are. But we can also look at the figures. And what we're seeing is if you look back in 2010, before this kind of corporate campaigning happened, the numbers are really sort of stagnant, going up very little every year. So in 2010, we had 4.4%. Now we look to 2017, and we're at 15.6% of hens in cage-free systems. And actually, USDA report on this month on month, and we're actually up to 17.9% last month. So we're actually beginning to see change happening right now in real time. And here, this is the UK. Um, there's been a, a sort of a lag period for a while between sort of 2012 and 2016, where there really hasn't been a huge amount of change in getting hens out of cages. Come 2016, when we started getting the rest of those major companies to commit, and we worked very much on getting Noble Foods, the largest um, egg producer in the UK, one of the largest in Europe, to commit to go cage-free as well. And we now see free range is moving up, and the enriched cage is moving down. And this is, you no, know, this is a first. It's been pretty plateaued for a while now. And when we talk about numbers, hens may, make, may not make up the largest amount, but they suffer in, there is huge numbers, but they also suffer for a prolonged period. These birds will go into cages for all their lives, um, and they'll be slaughtered at around 70 to 90 weeks of age. So the, the suffering is prolonged, even if there aren't vast numbers. But yet the numbers are pretty large, 38 million in the UK, 320 million when we talk about the US, and nearly 400 million in Europe, and actually worldwide, 7.6 billion. The numbers are big, and the, lo the longevity of suffering is long. And so we have the Open Wing Alliance. We need to tackle this 7.6 billion hens. We need to get them out of cages, the majority of which are in those cages. So the Humane League initiated the Open Wing Alliance, and we brought together members from around the globe to come together and unify in a front to get hens out of cages. Uh, we share campaign strategies, tactics as organisations. We share resources around the world. And we have 59 organisations in 57 countries now. You can see here the black indicating where we are. And month on month, new organisations are joining. And we give grants to these organisations in areas where they might not get monetary support. And this allows activists on the ground to begin this work in their countries, where there just hasn't been the monetary support to allow them to do kind of corporate campaigning or any kind of real farm animal campaigning. And we also know that the industry are paying attention. In New Zealand, this is the Weekly Times, in New Zealand, uh, the industry put out that you know, they're banning the barren battery cage and they're going to the enriched cage, as we did here in Europe. But they said, don't bother. Let's learn from what's happened in Europe. These European producers are now having to go into cage-free already. They've only just changed, converted to enriched cages. Really, the global shift is happening. It's come to New Zealand. It will come. And we might as well go cage-free. 
And this is South Africa. Um, they also have uh, put out in the industry magazine, the cage-free revolution is moving rapidly through the world. And South African egg industry should make sure they're prepared to accommodate that change. So as this has been going on worldwide now, and organizations are working on cage-free in countries like the United States and here in Europe in like United Kingdom or Sweden, for instance, we're actually shifting now to look at chickens raised meat or broiler chickens as they're known by the industry. And the numbers of these animals is vast. One billion in the UK were the second largest producer here, only second to Poland. 8.5 billion in Europe and around about the same amount in the US. And over 65 billion worldwide. And these birds account for nearly 95% of all land animals being produced for food. And while the degree of time that they're on this planet, which is six to seven weeks, is pretty short, the numbers are vast. So standard intensive chicken rearing very much looks like this. It's a barren barn. Uh, the chickens are on litter. When they're younger, they have a bit more space because they're smaller but there's tens of thousands of birds in one single shed. And they start like this, and as they grow, they have a lot less space. They're in this until they're slaughtered at six to seven weeks, but in that time, they'll suffer from conditions like painful leg health problems, metabolic diseases, and because their legs are painful, uh, they don't want to move around so much, they sit down on the litter a lot, and this can lead to blisters from the ammonia on the litter that they're in for the whole time. In fact, their growth is such that they grow six times faster than they would have back in the 1950s. And they've been genetically reared so that they produce a much larger breast muscle. And it becomes very evident when you look at this from the New York Times. The red bro, the red, ready brown chicken, is, is a higher welfare breed. The white bird is the typical intensive breed. And you can see the, the stature of the birds has changed no longer standing really upright, but actually having to widen their stance to accommodate the larger breast. And this change in stature means that the birds sort of tilt forward, it changes how the centre of gravity is, and it makes it harder for them to walk. And their actual skeleton is under a lot of pressure as it has to grow so rapidly. And this, while anecdotal, is um, a, a research project that's going on over in the States by Purdue, shows just really the lethargy these birds suffer. So the red birds, if you look, are moving around. There's lots of act like activity. But then if you look at the white birds, the majority are sitting down. And if they're not sitting down, they're at the food or at the water. Of course, these birds grow so quickly that they need to be eating continuously. And when they're not eating, all they're doing is resting. Now, these birds still have the same mental capacities as the other birds. It's just, unfortunately, they're trapped in their own bodies and unable to behave in a... In, behave how they would choose. And so at six to seven weeks of age, they will be taken to the slaughterhouse. Now, typically, that's a water bath system, and this means the birds are hung upside down by their legs. They will go through a tank of water that has an electric current that will run from the head to their feet, and that should give them an electric shock to make them unconscious before their throats are cut. However, uh, unfortunately, this system was made for speed and not actually for welfare. So we're talking about 140 to 180 birds going through this every minute, through this process. 
And this system often doesn't actually give these birds an appropriate electric shock to make them unconscious. In fact, many of them are conscious when they get to having their neck cut. And for those that have their neck cut poorly as well, they may, may, may make it through to the scolding tank. And this is to remove the feathers. But if they're still alive, they will obviously experience the scolding tank fully conscious or part conscious. And that's estimated to be around 2 to 3% in the US that suffer from that. Actually, the Trump administration has also just allowed the speed of the line to go up even faster. So, There is an alternative, controlled atmospheric stunning, which uses um, either carbon dioxide or inert gases to induce unconsciousness. And then the birds, have their, uh, and then the birds will, will die, and then their throats are cut. Now, this means that they don't have to be handled in the same way. Where the water bath system, they're hung up by their legs which is painful, the legs are weak, as, as we were saying. And uh, they don't have a diaphragm, so actually their insides crush their lungs. So by not handling them and keeping them in the crates, they don't have to experience this. They also are much more likely to, be, well, they are likely to become unconscious and then killed versus a stun, which may actually just be an electric shock before they, before they experience their neck being cut. So there is a lot of things that we can do to improve the welfare of broilers. And we came together in the US and in Europe with our animal welfare specialists from different animal protection organizations and came and made a criteria to improve the welfare of meat chickens. And that included changing the breed, having a higher welfare breed so that their leg health, they don't suffer from so many metabolic diseases, for instance, is improved. We also want to increase space. These birds want to move around, they need space in the shed, so we've, we've lowered the stocking density. And provided enrichment in the shed, so pecking materials to keep these birds active, like straw bales. We've improved the lighting, providing natural light here in Europe. And we insist on atmospheric, controlled atmospheric killing. And this means the birds won't have to go through the water bath system. We also want to make sure that the companies actually do this. So for that reason, we're asking for third-party auditing, and the companies need to report year on year on what progress they're making towards this. Now, over in the US, they've been doing this for a year or so now, and in doing so, they've got many major companies, over 95 now, to commit to this uh, standard. So they're committed by 2024 to improve the welfare of their chickens in their supply chain. Here in Europe, we're just beginning with this, over in the UK and, and France, for instance, and Germany. And in doing so, we've got Elior Group, uh, Nestle, Danone, to commit to making um, to the European chicken commitment, and that's spanning the whole of Europe. And some of these other ones are UK brands that I'm sure you recognise. Now, the most recent target for us as animal protection organisations is McDonald's. McDonald's is the world's largest restaurant chain by revenue. They serve 70 million people every day. Um, and in doing so, we, need, we know that this is a brand that people recognize, and it's a brand that needs to change. And so in the US, there's a coalition of organizations, Animal Equality, HSUS, Compassion Over Killing, Compassion While Farming, and us, and Animal Equality, have come together, and we have launched a campaign over there. Here in the UK, you can see here, we've started campaigning here too. And that includes protests, includes um, handing in petitions, um, getting people in the streets to be engaged with the issue, and also doing protests outside 
the restaurants. And in the US, they've also got uh, advertising out in Times Square. Now, while I've shown you volunteers taking to the streets, we also have another way of, of trying to get the attention of these companies, and that's through their social media and actually making contact with the companies themselves. So we have something called a Fast Action Network. Other organizations have something similar that you can join, and you'll get emails just to do uh, that take a couple of minutes of your time to action against the companies. Um, and if you would like to join up, you can just go onto the website. You can find the Fast Action Network. But really, this works by having the volume of people contacting the companies. And it really engages the companies and keeps reminding them that they need to be working on this. And of course, they worry about their brand. So it's important that we make sure we are heard. Now, while getting these welfare standards through institutional change is making a big impact, we also know that replacement animal products with plant-based or maybe culture meat one day is the future where we can be sure animals don't suffer. And in reality, it makes sense for companies as well. There is far less issues with plant-based products when you think about antibiotic problems or greenhouse gases or carbon footprint, for instance. And with these cage-free commitments, as an example, companies have actually seen how difficult it is for them to go down the supply chains and try and find out, is the company actually using a cage-free uh, cage egg? And so what they're doing is instead they're switching up. How can we take this out completely and replace it with something plant-based? It's much simpler for them. So we know that this is working and, and it's a coupling of the higher welfare and the plant-based products that are also going to be helping reduce suffering year on year. And it's not just these commitments from companies that we're going to be working on. We really need to follow through and make sure these commitments come into fruition. But there's also another way we can do that, and that's through legislation. So in the US, they've been working on, um, on state legislation. They have Prop 2. They now have Prop 12, which will be voted on in, in just a few days from now. And that's uh, extending to ending cages for hens, for pigs, etc. And not just on what's happening in country, so the production, but also imports coming in, in the state, also imports coming into the state. Uh, California makes up 10% of the population, so it's not a small thing, and it will impact the whole industry. Over here in Europe, we have something called the European Citizen Initiative that's being run by Compassion in Wild Farming. And in fact, they've got organizations in all the European countries to work on this and collect signatures to end cages for hens, uh, ducks, quails, rabbits, pigs, calves. Um, and that work is going to take a year of gaining a million signatures, but should then be pushed through to um, the European Parliament. So really, this approach is bringing together both corporate campaigning, the plant-based alternatives, and also, finally, legislation, prohibiting these systems completely. And so we're really now beginning to see the landscape for fire animals changing. We're already seeing the change for cages, hence coming out of cages. We're already beginning to be able to push through legislation. And now we'll be able to say we are actually beginning to see the reduction of suffering of millions, and in fact it will be billions of animals every year. Thank you. Thank you so much. I guess I wanted to get start off with a, a more general question about um, 
the reasons that companies will make these changes. Um, to what extent are they you know, making changes because they, they feel um, you know, public press is, is really pushing them versus legislation in their country changing? Yeah, so um, there are companies that are savvy and realize that actually this makes sense and that we can be the first and we can shout about it and we can use it in our favor to say that we care about welfare. But many companies, unfortunately, that's not the case. And when it comes to it, that's why we have to launch these campaigns to highlight, highlight what companies are doing, the cruelty that's in their supply chain. And they don't want to be associated with that. And so it's a mixture of both. There are some companies that can see it, and there are other companies, the majority, unfortunately, where they need to have some kind of public pressure and so, some kind of awareness before they'll make the, make the change. Right. Um, you said that for some companies, it actually is going to be, in the long term, maybe That's more right. cost-saving. Um, do you have any idea how long it takes for them to kind of move out of, say, using, I, I guess you were focusing mostly on chickens, so yes. using something alternative to... Uh, chicken products in whatever replacement they would be? Um, I don't know. There's companies looking at replace, taking out a proportion, so like 20 or 30% and replacing it with plant-based so that they can reduce like the amount of meat that they're using. Mm -hmm. um, with the eggs, it's certainly proving probably quicker for them to do it than almost... It, you know, some supermarkets will have two or 3,000 ranges with ingredients that include eggs. Mm -hmm. That's an incredible amount of lines to be going through. So for them, it's easier if they can just say to these companies, actually, I want you to replace it with this. But I, I don't have any like, strict timelines on what that would look like, unfortunately. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, and what makes a corporate campaign more likely to succeed? Are there some basic principles across countries, or does that really depend on where you are? That's a really great question. So um, it does depend where you are. Um, so in America, um, legislation is such that you can do quite a lot <laughs> that you couldn't do here in Europe. Um, so you can be, um, you can do more things that maybe the public doesn't see, but you kind of um, can campaign almost internally to the companies. Um, but yes, here in Europe and in countries, it depends. We found, for instance, in the UK, it's been really effective for us to make them see us day in, day out, outside their headquarters. So, you know, there's, there's a finance manager or whatever that's, like, feeling bad because they're involved with this company that is actually doing some cruelty with their supply chain. They probably haven't thought about it to that extent before, but you're standing outside their headquarters and saying, this is the headquarters of cruelty, which is what we did for Noble Foods, um, and, and that bothers them, and, and they, they begin to think about it. So... Every country has a, a different approach based on, on what's effective for them. But certainly getting out there and doing kind of silent protests, being, in the, being noticed by the companies day in, day out makes a big difference. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, so you focused on chickens' welfare in your presentation. Um, can you speak a little bit more about similar campaigns for other farmed animals? I'd be particularly interested in fish if there's a campaign in that. Sadly, there isn't really. Um, there's uh, World Fish Free Day, I think it's called, or something like that, that's happening in March next year. That there'll be a big thing. I think most organisations will will talk about that. Like, um, but um, I know that Compassion Wild Farming are beginning to start campaigning on the humane slaughter of fish. Um, that'll be up and coming. So that's really exciting, and that'll be spanning Europe probably to start with. Yeah. Cool. And um, as a final question, if someone wants to go into corporate campaigning, what's a good way for them to get involved? Oh, great. Um, well, just putting yourself out there as an activist, starting to volunteer, 
learning how like the tactics that we use is really helpful um, because then you can also go to the companies and say you were involved in those tactics and you know exactly what's going to happen um, but also you know if you've got a sales background or that kind of thing that kind of attitude can work really well in going and talking to corporations yeah. cool well thank you so much yeah. really appreciated your time thanks so much